Good morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. Good morning, Stacey, and how is beautiful Salt Lake City? Morning, John. Well, it is cold and windy, but it is, it, it, the first day was really, really pretty, so I got to come in and, you know, the, it, it's always amazing when you fly into Salt Lake City and you see those mountains ring this valley. It's, it, it's one of those things where the impression stays me for a while, and I got, it came in on a clear morning, so it's beautiful. Today, though, it's rainy and cold, and I see snow outside my window or close to it. So <laughs> it's good, though. I'll be here through Friday. I'm hoping the sun comes back out again. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't like snow. You can have my share of that if you like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, other people, I'm at the uh, Qualtrics conference this week, and one of the big things they're doing on Friday is people can sign up to do a skiing trip. I did not sign up for that. I decided it, was, it would be better just to head home on that day. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, people country. who ski, I always wanted. Don't you know that snow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I spent many years of my my childhood skiing and snowboarding and uh, falling into snow, and it's it's not my favorite place to be. <laughs> so the Qualtrics thing, uh, Barack Obama was there. Uh, did you have breakfast with him? I did not have breakfast with Barack Obama, but I did get to sit and listen to him and. I want to say that for, for me personally, that was, that was a bit of a bucket list. I, uh, um, when he was campaigning for both the first and the second election, um, he did a lot of campaigning in Ohio where I used to live at. And he used to constantly be right down the road from us, dealt with all kinds of traffic issues because of it. But I could never get tickets. It just never worked out. Uh, I would have had to, you know, sort of stood in four-hour lines, which you just can't do when you're a working person in general. <laughs> and so um, so this was, a, this, you know, I would say I was very – um, excited to get a chance to see him, and he didn't do a presentation. It was just a Q and A, but it it was nice to hear from him. It nice to hear some some common sense, you know, in in someone talking about sort of you know what government should be doing and how it's working with um, businesses. And so I appreciated his commentary. They also had um, uh, Richard Branson, Lord Richard Branson, uh, as a as a first. Um, presenter as well, and then Ashton Kutcher, who was talking about the very socially focused conversation throughout the entire morning uh, for the Qualtrics um, session, um, as well as a few other presenters from their internal team. Um, But it was definitely a a jam-packed morning, uh, and that was before we even got into the sessions, which were filled with names like BuzzFeed and Dropbox and um, you know, uh, American Express and Google and, and uh, you know, really, really just a very large company. So it's it's been an interesting event, and it goes on today, too. Today I think they're going to have Oprah at the sessions and a couple other big names. So, yeah. Well, so what do those people have to do with surveys? <laughs> I You know, I got, yeah, I got that question a lot. You know, I, and I think to some respect what um, – you know, in some cases, a lot of those people, you know, they, they, they're on the circuit for speaking or they're, you know, um, they're focused on, I'd say, human-based issues, right? And this is definitely an audience that is um, – the thing about Qualtrics where, uh, unlike some of the other events that we tend to go to in the HR space, is it crosses what I'd say is, is crosses functional areas. So it's it's the marketing audience, it's the HR audience, it's the researching field audience from sort of deep research, um, and it's also uh, in many cases sort of um, 
the, the educational audience, right? So, so higher education and, and K through 12 education and sort of research from that perspective. And so I think the fact that you're able to talk to, and there were over 14,000 people at this event um, this week. Um, it has taken over the entire uh, city of Salt Lake City. And um, I think it was an opportunity for them to talk about to the people who are gathering data. And there was a lot of focus on the ethics and the importance of the work that they're doing, that it is held to the highest standards and how important it is that organizations realize those levels of standards that go into that kind of research when it's done well. Um, so that was a big, I think, focus of the entire presentation outside of some of the social conversations about businesses um, feeling they should be doing more for their local communities and their, their countries and everything else. So, yeah, it was, it was interesting. And this is, this is Qualtrics now owned by SAP. What's this? The, is. What's, the, what's the sense about that? Well, you know that you know Bill, uh, Bill McDermott is talking this morning to everyone to, to give his sense of how SAP and Qualtrics are going to fit together. There wasn't a huge SAP presence at this event. I think this is probably like the big last sort of blowout. I, you know, the the CEO um, uh, Ryan got up and and gave a, a really rousing speech in the morning yesterday about why he chose to go with SAP and why he felt like um, this partnership would work um, versus going IPO. They were they were I mean they were within weeks of going IPO when when the um, maybe even days of going IPO when when SAP swooped in and bought them. Um, and he said the offer that they made was just you know, it made sense for that company. They were able to do more with that kind of an offer than they would have been able to do as a, as a public company per se individually. Um, now, what's interesting is, you know, when you talk to the, to the Qualtrics employees, they are all pretty comfortable that, you know, SAP will leave Qualtrics alone to some extent. They will allow them to continue to be Qualtrics with all the personality quirks and, you know, young tech company feel um, that they have had. Now, um, they are very, you know, at this point in time, you know, they're you know, a very large organization. They've got two to 3,000 employees already. Um, they are um, very culture-focused. Um, as I've already noted, they have a, their CEO has not said he's planning on stepping down. He has no intentions of leaving the company. Um, part of the company is built around um, a nonprofit effort that they have um, for fighting cancer, um, and that's part of the, the whole company makeup, and so that is due to the CEO's father. Um, and so, yeah, everybody seems to think that things will be just, we're going to get more money and more resources to do the things we want to do. Um, I don't know. You and I have seen this. We've seen this when Success Factors was uh, acquired. Um, there was a lot of focus initially there about keeping the Success Factors brand and culture. Do you think that it worked? Success factors. So, 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 you don't buy rental properties to leave them the way that they are forever. <laughs> really, don't do that. This is an investment, and and yeah. and there are going to be consequences of the SAP movement. Anybody who's an Oracle customer is going to find it uncomfortable. Anybody yeah. who's a Workday customer is going to find it uncomfortable. To, to have an integration with SAP. And so, so they can't move quickly because it would destroy the customer base, but they're going to, they're going to have sales that's oriented to the insides of the SAP ecosystem. 
and functionality that's oriented. So when there's a when there's an improvement that needs to be made, how do you think this is going to work? Qualtics customers yeah. or SAP customers first? Yeah, so exactly. so so over time, over time, this is SAP. This is not Qualtics. And, and the theory that um, the theory that you can keep all of your girlfriends and get married <laughs> generally doesn't make for good marriages, you know. <laughs> well, um, yeah, it's a different context. I've heard it, but I, but I think I, I have the same feeling. You know, I, I, to me, you know, I think Qualtrics has done something in the market that um, now, but there's no doubt. But they have created a tool that at this point, you know, there's are few that can compete on the research side of things. You know, that you know they've got a a customer. Um, you know, component. They've got a HR component, and those are all sort of tailored versions of their their uh, surveying tool, and with variations in their data um, sharing models and their their capability to do sort of subgroups within them, so that people can sort of uh, resell and access various levels of the the research. But for the most part, I think you know. Um, it will be tough to hold on to a culture, I, I, you know, having seen what we've seen. Now, I, we could be wrong, and I would be happy to be proven wrong in this situation. So, but we'll get, you know, we'll wait and see. So, yeah, well, that's I, been a lot of the conversation this week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, what an interesting place to be, and certainly, certainly, data collection is um, the beginnings of what's happening in the world. I, I, I think, I think we're going to see the internal employee survey sort of peak in its in its ability because there's so many other ways to collect data now. So this is a this is really kind of an old fashioned way of doing things. Uh, but it's it's where you start if you're going to try to investigate the climate of your internal culture. And it's certainly how you do things Way you look at the world is the same as auto dial phones, right? That 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 the thing that you do is go out and collect a statistically significant sample data from X number of people. If that's the model, this yep. is the tool. This is the tool. But that model is is being replaced by um, smart data science that allows you to correlate things that appear to be unrelated and arrive at the same conclusions without the um, interference of a survey, which has, you know, what you get, what you get a survey is the answer from people who answer surveys. Exactly. Uh, And, and that, I think, yeah, that's the biggest challenge. The, the, the organizations that I spoke with here and there have almost every fortune 100 organization is represented here at one level or another their perspective is that the Qualtrics tool and what it does is a piece of a much broader data capturing process, both whether they're doing external data capturing or internal data capturing. Um, And from their perspective, you know, what I'm hearing a lot more of is people creating these very large databases where they're housing all the various different methodologies of which they're capturing data, which I think gets into Internet of Things and uh, social scraping and, you know, uh, information, you know, in 
sort of the, the ecosystem that is captured through various activities and work environments, um, as well as surveys. And I think you're completely on target. And that definitely, you can hear that throughout the session this week. Yeah. That's interesting. So, so Qualtrics, yay! Now, what's yay, in the mailbag? Well, it's it's not a, a busy week, but some interesting stuff. I mean, one of the announcements I think that they're probably making on the um, stage this morning as well is that Corn Ferry, um, which has was originally an executive search firm, but also had acquired uh, a lot of uh, leadership development from some of the leading leadership development content back in the day, competency management tools, um, and has done a lot of sort of consulting um, acquisitions over the last few years. Um, they are announcing a, a Qualtrics partnership to build a global delivery and advisory services to improve employee experience programs at scale. So although this, I think it sounds like it's more of a, a sort of a, a partnership on um, sort of a, a sales level, but it does look like Qualtrics is agreeing to sort of work with Corn Ferry on creating sort of a services around their platform um, that Corn Ferry will sell as a holistic thing. And that's, that's an interesting one. And I think part of it is, is that the market isn't quite sure what this employee experience thing is. And so when you, when you aren't sure what something is, you generally have to put services around it to explain it, to sell it. And that's my take on this. So, so that's definitely uh, happening this week. Um, we, we also have some updates from uh, Ceridian acquiring assets of Clearview, uh, Logix, and Pesa. Uh, Salesforce releasing uh, My Trailhead, a customizable training platform, jumping into the mix of training. Uh, Wipro sells off Aperio. The poor Aperio team has been bounced around a bit. Uh, HCM practice for $110 million to IPO Bound Delight, which is part of the group they just got sold off from previously. So um, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, Wade and Wendy raises $7.6 million uh, to help their business automate hiring chatbots. More about chatbacks. And then we also have Paradox, another uh, chatbot um, organization that is announcing uh, the completion of the, their funding process and then their growth plans for 2019. Um, we also have um, HackerRank debuting a tool for developer job candidate analysis. Um, so HackerRank has been in and out of the news a little bit. They, they tried to sort of uh, be the tool that you can use for technology hiring. Um, and then if we've got a little bit of time, um, uh, online learning startup Skilllink promises India's mechanical engineers a job or their money back. So if we get a chance to talk about that, John, that would definitely be interesting to see. Do we think this model is working? I've heard about this type of a model twice now in the last couple of days, people talking about what is the future of learning um, on the stage. So I think this is uh, maybe an idea that's picking up and, and always does when things get a little bit tight with the talent space. So. So, yeah, so there's a lot of stuff going on in the news this week. Um, what's your thoughts on, on where – do we want to start uh, talk a little bit about the corn ferry at all before we move on? Oh, let's, let's start with Skillink um, and, uh -huh. and the idea that, that if you get an education, the, the provider guarantees that you'll get a job or you get your money back. Yeah. I know, I know some um, – Utilized college graduates who would love to have had that deal. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I I, I um, wonder um, how sustainable that is, right? Because the the labor market is 
um, variable based on the economic cycle, right? There's no steady demand for anything. There's cyclical demand for stuff. So, so if you get this guarantee and then you have a recession, um, you better have a lot of money. Well, and, so, and that, yeah, that will be the thing. Is is it sustainable in in a in a down market? I mean, this is very similar to sort of the old recruiting models, right? Um, and and uh, sort of a mixture of agent concepts, right, that you see in the talent space, um, as well as for paid or um, higher educations that used to promise a lot of this. They oftentimes didn't weren't able to come through on it. But this is is basically a contract that you're not paying for. Um, that you know, if you're going to pay for your education, you are promised a job. Now, how how um, stable that contract is, and whether or not they can uh, put forward for that contract is, is a whole different thing. Now, the other thing that I heard someone talking about today is other startups in the industry that are starting to do. You don't pay anything for your education, but once you get into your job, portions of your um, salary get pushed back into your education environment, which is a little bit like a loan model as well. I think the world's really trying to figure out, like, how do you get a lot of these skills? Um, and they're trying every model they can possibly imagine to figure out a way to do this um, that doesn't require the traditional student loans, right? Um, and particularly works in areas in the in the STEM or the technology space. This is mechanical engineering jobs is what this one is focused on. So, yeah, I mean, it feels like we've done this before, at least to me. I, I feel like this is not something that is new, but maybe will look new because there's technology around it, right? Well, when did we, when did we do this before? It used to be the case that when you went to work, your employer paid for your education. That, that was, that was, how lots of lots of people, first it was the government paid for education, then employers paid for education, and now people are paying for their own education. Um, so this is sort of a move back, but, but, but the, the idea here is that the university guarantees the quality of its work, right? The educational institution yeah. guarantees the quality of its work, and that strikes me as new. That's a totally different business model for a school. Except the 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 sort of raw technical schools used to do a little bit of this. Yeah. But the, yeah. But and, and maybe way that's more the world. commercial. My dad was, yeah, exactly. My dad was in a lot of the um, uh, educational and uh, technology spaces in the early days when the, the for-profit schools first came out. And a lot of them were with the we will promise you a job at the end of this compared to, right, you know, these technical. And they, and they were tied very much to businesses as they were doing their, their recruiting. It, it fell apart. It, it, it didn't work because the, the, the schools didn't match up their curriculums well enough with what the businesses were doing. And that might be the difference here. I would really like to see that happen. I think that's a great partnership. It just never seemed to work, at least I think in the 80s and the 70s and the 90s, you know, those areas when, you know, I knew other people who were doing it in that for-profit school market, right? Um, but this could be this could be a change in the, the space. I do think the idea of focusing on technical skills is a big shift and needs to be done in the market again. Um, but, um, and that's definitely been a, a a conversation, I think, across the board in every event I've been to in the last probably two years uh, is this idea that, higher education isn't necessary for everybody 
and that um, the idea that there are a lot of jobs going unfulfilled here, at least in the States and really around the world, um, that have to do with more technical skills. So, yeah. so let's do the chatbot things next. Did, did, did you notice that in the two announcements about chatbots, there was no mention of artificial intelligence? The closest. No, they were using every word but assist, it, right? <laughs> assistive intelligence, augmented intelligence, everything that you can do to distance yourself from the term AI without yeah. <laughs> giving up the letters. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's, like, it's like they spend a lot of those nice brochures and they all say AI on it, so they have to come up with a new um, definition. <laughs> Um, I think it's hysterical. Um, so you've got Paradox and Wade and Wendy. There are interesting levels of financing. It's not as big as Pymetrics or one of the more tactical job-oriented startups, but but these are these are ten million dollar deals, both of them. And mm-hmm. um, I think I think we're about to see. Some people get really smart as soon as we can figure out how to get the case studies published about what it actually costs um, to um, implement a um, chatbot, right? And it's not a simple thing. It's not a simple thing at all. And the quality of the work that a chatbot can do is entirely limited by how specific the problem is. So you've done a lot of research in there. Is it also limited by how much work your company has already done in sort of identifying all the possible questions and the ways those could be answered? I mean, I think about a lot of organizations who have massive help desk environments who have like basically outlined all the questions they get and have already built sort of a database of answers. That seems to me like you would be a step closer than trying to bring in a chatbot before something like that was done, correct? Yeah, you have to have the, you have to have, so most people go to chatbots, and there are two kinds, right? There's the, there's the process-oriented thing, which is a decision tree, and you've got yes or no answers, um, and 10 or 20 yes or no answers to get to a conclusion. That's great. That's easy to do, and there's nothing particularly technical about that. And then these sort of knowledge management tools that theoretically um, answer questions that employees have. But they really, at best, at the very, very best, they can only handle about 80% of the questions that they're given, which means that you have to set up a management infrastructure and staffing to handle the questions that the machine didn't answer and will always be the hardest. The 80% that get answered, uh, you know, this is a Pareto analysis. So 20% of the problem um, equals 80% of the benefit, and 80% of the problem equals 20% of the benefit. And what the chatbots do is solve the 80% of the problem that yields 20% of the benefit. (laughs) And and so so you end up with a real hairball on your hands um, after you have deployed a chatbot um, that that is supposed to give you 80%, but it's the 80%. Yeah. 
Right. You know, this, this sort of brings to mind, actually, there was one comment that was made at yesterday's event that Obama made that I thought was fit right into what we're talking about here. You know, Obama was, was sort of asked the question of what do you do when you're you know, at the level that you were at and you were asked, or you asked to make a decision about two bad decision points. Like there was no good answer, right? And his comment was that every decision he made was one of those decisions because if it was an easy decision, it would have never gotten to him, right? And so by the time it got to him, there was no good answer to be had at any point. And I think that's kind of what you're saying, that by the time it gets to whoever is a human being in this situation, there will be no good answer to those questions, correct? Right. And and what happens is is because there's a chatbot and people have the expectations that they're going to get instantaneous answers, you end up needing to staff to that to that level of service. Yeah, the chatbot sets an expectation for a level of responsiveness of the organization that if that's if the if the promise is only we'll give you really great responsiveness for the easy questions, <laughs> then, then then they should just write all this stuff out and put it in facts and let people use search engines on them. It's not that yeah. much different. <laughs> um, um, uh, but. But this gives people check marks on the AI, even if it no longer means artificial intelligence button. Um, and so, um, um, I'm sure that, and particularly these two, Wade and Wendy and and Olivia or perhaps, uh, will will do well in the market, and they will sell at a premium, um, and they won't do a thing to move the state of the art. Um, intelligent tools forward. Yeah. I think it's going to be really hard, and I, I could be wrong on this, and I'm happy to be proven wrong here, And but I think it'll be hard to do this kind of level of sophisticated thinking without being part of a bigger database of knowledge, right? To be just a small chatbot sitting as sort of doing one or two things in an organization, it feels like it would be a very limited role within that environment, right? Like it needs to be attached to a bigger artificial uh, mechanism. At least that's what it feels like to me. Yeah, I think I think maybe what we're about to see is that the push towards <clears throat> machine learning and natural language processing and data collection using surveys, all of these things we've been talking about, right, will cause the people analytics um, area to mature pretty rapidly because you can't afford to have a whole array of little Roombas running around screwing with your data because it makes it impossible to manage the data. You need some sort of some sort of centralized approach to the asset of data that is the company's asset. And um, Right, it's not the people; it's the data about the people that's the greatest asset. Yeah. Um, and um, a a program that just has like a million little projects going on with no in, no overall integration is a really big mess, and it ends up it ends up being the case that you end up giving lots of people lots of different answers to the same question when what you want to do is give everybody a similar answer to the same question. 
Uh, we will we will have to I think wait and see on this particular um, topic because I don't think there's any one big data architecture yet that has been proven to be sort of the end all be all for organizations. I know people are trying to create it. We're hearing about it all the time, um, and whether or not it needs to be part of the public cloud market at all, or you want it to be completely separate, that's another big question I think that's being asked. But I think you're you're correct in the whole lack of integration, lack of connection that will cause issues here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there'll be one great data architecture for everybody. I think that every company is going to have to do that, and it's not an IT problem; it's a data problem. And so, so when you look at organizations like Chiron, which I know you're you're really involved in, um, the the emphasis that Chiron needs to be on data, not on software. Um, exactly. Right, and 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 that's hard for people to get their brains around. But data has become the infrastructure that software used to be. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And uh, without a doubt, I mean that is the direction we're seeing. Almost all of the HRIT professionals who are working at the highest levels in very large global organizations right now, their their time and energy is being inundated with data governance data conversations and infrastructure conversations around those data um, conversations. And so I think you're right. This is the, this is the new, um, the new expansion West, if we want to call it right, will be the, the frontier of data and how do you manage it? What do you do with it? And, and what is it? Um, uh, who's connected to, who's not connected to all of that will be part of the conversation. Right. That, that's right. It's going to be, it's going to be a fascinating time. It's we're at the beginning of a new era um, and it was sort of the trumpets were um, playing the iTunes when the new era opened. But the, the real <laughs> truth about the new era is that it's the era of data science. And uh, you need data science to write good AI. You need data science to do good analytics. And you need data science to get the data asset in the best possible shape. So, so, so it's data that has come to come to bore us to tears on some levels. <laughs> there you go. Well, we have whipped through our 30 minutes already, John. We didn't even get through half of the the topic today, but I'm sure we can get to some more of them next week. Any any last minute items you wanted to touch on before we wrapped up today? No. What a great show! And thank you very much for taking the time out of your big adventure in Salt Lake City to do this. <laughs> and thanks everybody for listening. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly One Step with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. Bye bye now. Thanks, everyone. Bye. bye.